It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this edition of the Untold Story Podcast. I'm Martha McCallum. Thanks for joining us today. And I'm, I'm really pleased to speak today with Hazard Lee, who is the author of the new book, The Art of Clear Thinking, something I think we all struggle with once in a while. And the subtitle is A Stealth Fighter Pilot's Timeless Rules for Making Tough Decisions. Hazard Lee is a U.S. Air Force combat pilot and instructor and As a flight commander, he led pilots into combat during one of the most intense periods of the war in Afghanistan. And there he flew over 80 combat missions and became the only fighter pilot to ever fly two different types of jets into combat on the same day while supporting troops under fire. He was handpicked to fly the F-35, which is the most advanced and expensive weapon system in history, which was still in development at the time. So he just has an incredible resume of serving our country. So first of all, thank you for your service to our country, Hazard, and, and welcome. Thank you, Martha. It's great to be on. Did your parents name you Hazard? No, Hazard's <laughs> my call sign. So uh, Tell me about that. What's your, what's, your, give it, what's your birth name? Birth name is Justin. So, but all the fighter pilots that I'm with, we we don't know our first names. So, in fact, we have games sometimes where you have to guess the uh, your, you know, wingman's first name, and most of us can't do it. So, most of us just like <laughs> in the movie Top Gun, but go by our call signs. So, mine is Hazard. Well, it's an app name. Uh, looking at um, some of what you've done in your life, give us a little background. I always like to start these by asking people, you know, tell me about growing up. Where'd you grow up? Um, how, how did you become interested in in the life that you've led? Yeah, so I actually caught the aviation bug early. So I went to an air show when I was five years old. And this was back in the day when you could climb into a cockpit of an F-16. That's what the Thunderbirds fly in an F-15. And so sat in the cockpit and knew from that moment on that I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Now, there's not a lot you can do as a, as a kid. If you want to be a, a football player, you can play peewee football. But for me, memorizing you know, all the facts about the Jets, was really into aviation, watched all the movies. But it wasn't until I was around uh, 12 years old when I got my first flight in a, uh, in a Cessna, Cessna 152. It's almost like a lawnmower with wings. But I was hooked after that. It was just like combining sports with school. And, uh, and after that, I applied for the Air Force Academy, got rejected. So I got a, uh, a crisp white letter from them saying mm. that they didn't have space for me. And I went to a year at New Mexico Military Institute, reapplied, and was able to get into the Air Force Academy. And from there, got selected to uh, to go to pilot training. So that was a dream come true. You start off flying the T-6 Texan II. It's almost like a P-51 Mustang from World War II. Yeah. 1,100 horsepower uh, prop plane. From there, selected to fly the T-38, a supersonic jet trainer. And then finally got the call to, uh, to fly the F-16, my dream jet, my number one pick. And I spent a year learning how to fly that, then went to South Korea and served for two years there, then went to Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina, deployed to Afghanistan out of there. And it was in Afghanistan that I uh, got selected to fly the F-35. So it was still in developmental tests at the time. Came back to Arizona to learn how to fly it. 
and I've uh, been flying it ever since. And so got out of active duty in 2020 and am now an author. So, you know, there's a lot there. The first thing that stands out to me is that you, you know, were pursuing a dream you had since you were five and you got rejected the first time around from the Air Force Academy. I was just out, out there recently. One of my um, son's friends is flying F-16s there right now. And it is an extraordinary place. So what was that disappointment like for you? And, and what made you keep going? Oh, it was tremendous. So I didn't know all the different avenues to become a fighter pilot. So I thought I had all my eggs in this basket. I remember my bedroom was full of Air Force Academy uh, posters and stickers. And I got that letter and I was excited. I didn't know at the time that, you know, the rejection letters just come in standard uh, envelopes. And as soon as I read it, heart dropped. And uh, and the next few weeks, I was just peeling off the stickers and everything I had on the wall. So was was mm. crushed but then got a another letter saying that if I went to this other school, New Mexico Military Institute and kept my grades up, I could get in. So, uh, you know, I think these things happen to everybody and it's it's really how you frame it. And for me, it was just a matter of, of finding a way to overcome the obstacle. Yeah, I think, you know, that that's a great experience to have in a lot of ways um, when you really want something and you have to find another way to to get at it. Um, I, I just want to read the beginning of chapter two here, which is called Power Laws. And it says, as I merged at over 1,000 miles per hour against the F-16 I was fighting, I could for a split second see the other pilot at the controls as he rapidly passed me in the opposite direction, his green flight suit blending into his metal visor as he tracked my aircraft. In my F-16, I started a hard turn back toward him while pushing the throttle fully forward into maximum afterburner. So I guess for you know the rest of us who don't know what that is like, um, what is that like? And you know, why you, you talk about how every time you go up in one of these jets, you're you're risking a fiery death, essentially. So what kind of a human being wants to put themselves in that kind of danger all the time? Well, First of all, I think it can be relatively safe. So we have a lot of different decision-making principles, a lot of different ways that we try to mitigate risk. So even though you're sitting on 40,000 pounds of thrust and a lot of jet fuel, and there are a lot of things that can go wrong, they often don't. So we've done a fantastic job of being able to mitigate those risks. But in terms of what it's like, it's it's amazing. It's, it's like flying a roller coaster mm -hmm. and you can control wherever it goes. So like I said, 40,000 pounds of thrust, you can accelerate straight up. So you're on this rocket ship. And so like I was talking there, it's, it's, that's high aspect dog fighting. So you are pointing at a enemy jet and the closure rate is over a thousand miles per hour, about 1500 miles an hour. And uh, so that's a mile every three seconds. And as soon as you cross, you're trying to turn and turn the adversary and the G forces that you experience are extreme. So right now I weigh 200 pounds um, at one G. So the, if you've ever been in a roller coaster that kind of pushes your head down and does a loop, that's about three G's. We'll pull nine G's, nine mm. times the force wow. of gravity. So with my gear on, that's 2000 pounds of force. My head alone with my helmet weighs 135 pounds. Each arm weighs 250 pounds. So it's squeezing the life out of you. Your vision literally shrinks down to the size of a paper towel roll. And unfortunately, 
we've lost a lot of pilots to what's called a G-induced loss of consciousness because the blood out of your brain into your arms and legs. And so after I fly, I'll have what look like chicken pox from the, the blood pressure exploding blood vessels. But if you lose enough blood, you'll you'll pass out. And unfortunately, over the last 30 years, we've lost about one pilot a year mm. to this G-induced loss of consciousness. So it's, it's really important for us to be able to stay in good shape, stay hydrated, and to have a good, uh, what we call anti-G straining maneuver. You know, I'm thinking as you're talking about that of Top Gun. When when you were a kid, did the did that movie have an impact on you and your desire to fly? It did. I don't think it did as much as some of the other pilots, um, but I, I just sucked in anything aviation related. So I like liked all the documentaries, I like that Iron Eagle, all the kind of cheesy movies from the uh, the 1990s and 1980s. So it did, but not a significant impact. So the book is called A Stealth Fighter Pilot's Timeless Rules for Making Tough Decisions. So, you know, talk to me about why someone, and and I've listened to some of the interviews that you've done with other people who are like you, who are are fighter pilots and who understand uh, the engineering, the dynamics of what it's like to fly one of these incredibly impressive aircraft. But what is in this book that can help a regular person like me or other people listening to this with the process of making good decisions. So I think decision making is a universal skill that applies to everybody. It's not really taught in most schools. And basically what I'm doing as a fighter pilot, I'm sitting in this suit of technology that allows me to be hundreds, if not thousands of times more capable than I could be on my own. I could travel far faster. I can carry much more. I can Uh, see out to the horizon. But the same thing is true for all of us. So the computer we we use, the cars we have allow us to all be far more capable. And there are even reports now out of Silicon Valley that the next billion dollar company will be run by three or fewer people. So this is technology is adding leverage. It's powering the technology that's adding leverage to our decisions. So as fighter pilots, we've really been on the leading edge of decision-making theory since the 1970s, since uh, John Boyd helped develop the OODA loop uh, based on his experiences during the Korean War. So the way I talk in the book, I break down decisions into three phases, being able to assess the problem in front of us, being able to choose the correct decision, and then being able to execute. So I wanted to come up with a, a simple framework, and that's really what they teach us in pilot training. They take somebody who's off the street, who's never flown in a jet before, and within a couple of years, they're flying combat sorties on mm-hmm. the other side of the world. And a lot of it has to do with this decision-making framework. And I wanted to find a way to be able to to allow other people to, to use it because it really hasn't gotten out there, not because it's classified, just because we're so busy with the mission. So I've finally had a chance once I left active duty to really focus on a way to make this accessible to other people. The Untold Story continues right after this. Take us through one of the examples of... From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Of the decision-making process that you have to undergo when you're up there, and it's all you, as I know you've said. You know, once you take off, every decision is basically going to come from from you and your abilities. And give us an example of of a, of a situation that you found yourself in, and and how you go through that process that other people can learn from. Yeah. So one example was when I was coming back from a mission in Afghanistan. So we had been doing uh, a. Uh, an overwatch uh, mission in the Helmand province. We were coming back after about six hours of flying and I was coming for landing. It was in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden I saw what looked like orange ropes 
going into the sky. And I thought, you know, there had been sweat or something that had gone into my eye, but it turned out it was the base's anti-mortar uh, system going off. So we have Gatling canyons uh, around the base. And so they were trying to shoot down the mortars. And so I had to abort the landing, try to avoid these uh, these CRAMs as they're called. They're shooting these 20 millimeter high explosive rounds. So my wingman and I uh, climbed up above the, uh, the airfield and we were almost out of fuel. So unfortunately we didn't have a alternate base. So the secondary airfield as well as our alternate base had shut down for the night. Mm. And so we had to come up with a strategy because the airfield got hit. Do we land on this damaged runway? Do we try to what we call skyhook, um, get really high and then try to glide into another airfield? And so, or eject, um, because if you hit a pothole with one of these jets going about 200 miles an hour, you'll probably cartwheel the jet and it'll mm. go out of control wow. and uh, and you, you could easily die from that. So I went through this decision-making process we call it uh, finding the expected value of a decision. So there are basically two different courses of action. There was either land on the damaged airfield or eject. Landing on the damaged airfield, there was about, I calculated about a 5% chance of hitting one of these potholes and potentially cartwheeling the jet and uh, and unfortunately dying. There's also ejecting a, a similar probability, but there's a high chance of either being captured or being injured or something like that. So came up with a baseline solution, which was, all right, you know, it's not the end of the world. We still have a 95% chance of, of landing and being just fine, not hitting this pothole. Now that we have that, let's self-impose a 10 minute time period to land before we run out of fuel to come up with a better solution. So then we explored other alternate alternative solutions. And one of them involved finding another tanker uh, we have these flying essentially gas stations that are flying uh, in the country. And I was able to uh, use satellite communication, find one of these tankers and have them fly at max speed and refuel with about one minute of uh, fuel remaining before I had to abort and mm. land on the damaged airfield. So I go through the process of some of the math involved and what we call fast forecasting a, uh, a solution. And are you, is your heart pounding a million miles a minute at this point? You know, how do you control the physical reaction to being under that kind of stress? We have a saying that as soon as you put on your helmet, you lose 20 IQ points. So what looks easy on the ground gets a lot tougher when you're in the middle of these stressful situations and you're pulling the G-forces that we do. So we have a lot of techniques for being able to calm ourselves down. One of them is box breathing, five seconds in, hold five seconds, five seconds out hold five seconds, that breathing really activates the parasympathetic nervous system, slowing your uh, heart rate down and enabling you to have finer motor activity, but also cognitive performance. So the Air Force has done a lot of studies over the years uh, showing that there's an optimal band of performance. If you go too far past it, you'll start to make dumb mistakes. And they, that's what they found in World War II. A lot of good pilots were making really dumb mistakes because they were getting task saturated and they were losing situational awareness. And that's one of the first things that happens when you get too stressed out is that you uh, lose ability to understand 3D relationships, which is really important for a pilot. So being able to calm yourself down is a critical skill for us. What about calming someone else down? I mean, you know, you're up there with your wingman. Have you been in situations where you had to do that for each other to talk each other through a difficult situation? Oh, yeah. So that example where we were refueling, my wingman had even less fuel than I did, and he was a lot less experienced. So I let him go on the tanker first. He only had one shot at this. And so 
you know, you just want your voice to be calm. You don't want to be freaking anybody out. You don't want to let your anxiety bleed into somebody else's. So definitely being able to, to translate a calming presence is important. And that's another thing that we do when we show up to a close air support encounter. So if there's a troops, uh, troops in contact situation on the ground, there's a firefight going on, we'll show up to these events and, you know, the troops are under fire. So they're extremely stressed out. They might not be making the best decisions. So our job is to be those eyes above the battlefield, to be able to calm everybody down, to make a rational decision. The number one thing is being a clear thinker, being able to get yourself into an optimal zone of performance, being that clear thinker, being able to calm people down. It's it's really an important skill. So in Chapter 7, you talk about the, the title is Prioritize and Be Decisive. And it tells a story about a man named Ahmad Nayeb in Afghanistan. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened with him? Yeah, so he was a former Taliban member who had applied for employment on Bagram Air Base. So Bagram Air Base, the largest uh, US base in Afghanistan. And so he had applied for employment, renounced the Taliban. And so he had uh, been working there for several years. And unbeknownst to the US forces, he had been developing a bomb. And so on uh, when we celebrated Veterans Day, he we usually so the thing people don't understand is when we're on these bases, there's no weekends, there's no holidays, you're working every day, 24 hours, uh, 24 seven, there's people always working, but there was a small 5k on Veterans Day, and he ended up walking into the middle of the crowd, it was at 6am in the morning and detonating himself, and uh, killing uh, four US members and wounding, I believe it was 16 people. I happened to be on the other side of the base, I just gotten done flying a mission and was going to sleep when I heard this pop sound. You know, Bagram, being in a combat zone, it's the Wild West, you hear pop sounds, you hear smoke, you hear outgoing rockets, you hear those C-Rams, those uh, counter artillery systems going off all the time. So I didn't think much of it, went to sleep and uh, and got woken up saying, hey, you're going to be one of the first aircraft to launch. We're shutting down the base right now. Go back to sleep, which is pretty challenging to hear that. Yeah. Or just go, go back, back to, to sleep. sleep. Ready to go. <laughs> Good luck. Um, yeah. So, uh, so fortunately, there weren't any other attacks, but there was a lot of chaos and confusion. Mm. Um, you know, it was it was it was a really deadly attack, and um, <sighs> you know, was, there's there's a lot going on that yeah. day. What did you think about the the pullout from Afghanistan? Clearly wasn't organized as well as it could have been. You know, I have a, a lot of friends uh, and and family that uh, you know worked hard to be able to secure this country, and then it wasn't done as well as it probably should have been. So, uh, you know, it's kind of disappointing to see that all that work was uh, was I don't think it was for nothing, but it, it wasn't maximized as well as it should have been. You know, I mean, obviously, there was a tragic loss of life of 13 U.S. service members at uh, the Abbey Gate and the shutting down of, of Bragham Air Base. Um, did you think that, you know, speaking of decision making, what did you think about the decision to shut down Bagram? Well, I think it depends. You only have so many assets. So there's a lot of things going on in the world. You know, currently with Ukraine, everybody pivoting towards great power competition with China. So you only have so many assets. So it's a it's a big picture decision. Where do you want to put those chess pieces? So it really depends on what you're prioritizing there. Even if we did decide to to pull out there, I think there's that's the difference between choosing the correct course of action and being able to execute it correctly. 
Hazard Lee, U.S. Air Force combat pilot and instructor. The book is called The Art of Clear Thinking, A Stealth Fighter Pilot's Timeless Rules for Making Tough Decisions. And you've had to make a lot of them. And again, I want to thank you for your service and for writing this great book. I highly recommend it. And I appreciate you talking with us on The Untold Story. Thank you very much. It was great being on. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.